0: Welcome to meet the musician Jackson Brown at the Apple Store Kurfrusten Please welcome our guest moderator, Zilka Zupa.
1: Thank you so much, everybody. Hi and welcome. So tonight we have the great opportunity and honor to welcome Jackson Brown on stage an artist whose wonderful and great songs are loved by people around the globe for good reasons. We'll be talking about his new album, Standing in the Breach, so please welcome Mr. Jackson Brown. Hello.
2: Thank you, Zesha. Thank you. Hello.
1: Good to see you. How are you? Thank
2: you. I'm well. That's very good. Hello, everybody. Good.
1: Okay, congratulations first of all to the great new album. Thank you. I was really looking forward talking with you about it. So it's been a while since the last studio album. So I was asking myself when did you exactly, if you can tell that, start working on Standing in the Breach?
2: Uh, it's hard to say because um, I have a studio, so I'm always recording. So uh, you know, so I've been. I would say probably, some, one of these songs was recorded as early as five years ago for a film. And, I th- and another song was recorded maybe a year and a half ago. But for the most part, about a year ago, I began working to put it, to put everything into, to record songs and put them
1: into an album. Okay. Did you have a kind of a clear vision every time it's time for a new record? Is, is there a kind of general, Thought that you're starting with, or is it an idea of a song comes to mind and you start writing it and then? so on.
2: The songs kind of accumulate, they just accumulate they, they um, as I said, I started recording uh, one of these songs about a year and a half ago, and I worked on it in, at different times. you know I just kept trying to get more from the song, but I, I'm or well, I'm not sure. If I, I may have even recorded that, that song once before. So I'll recut songs if I think that they should be done differently or if I'm looking for something to happen. Sometimes the songs aren't really f- written, they're not really finished. I don't finish them before starting to record them because I know I'm going to find out something in the recording that may make me wish it had a slightly different form. So, um, no, the answer is no, I didn't have a clear vision. I never do. <laughs> <laughs>
1: There are 10 songs on the records. I was wondering how many songs did you write? Is there anything that's kind of... 10. left? O- that's it? Just 10? <laughs> yeah. That's very luxurious working. I know artists who come up with 40, 60 songs and I've, then have I've to reduce it down. I've met these people.
2: I, it's, yeah, it's, they haven't yeah.
1: optimized their working forms, right?
2: <laughs> I don't know if that's it or that they don't... I mean, I spend a long time on each song. I spend a lot, a lot of time working with each one to try to... Get what I want, so um, I may start a lot more songs than I finish, but I don't finish them unless I'm really interested in them.
1: Do you have a kind of favorite setup for writing songs? Like, is there a special time of day or night, when most ideas occur, or when it's best for you to work no. in your studio?
2: No, it's, it's sort of the last thing that I get to. I, it's not the last thing I think of doing. Usually at the end of the day, because that's when everything you know, everything else is taken care of. I was always like this, I was always, when, when I was a kid, I was always at the kitchen table at two in the morning, whispering and, you know, trying to write a song without waking anybody up.
1: Okay, Well that's a lovely picture. <laughs> Do you have a personal favorite track on the record? I know that's very hard to answer for most artists, but but sometimes no. it's worthwhile asking. No,
2: I like them all. All I in mean, the same way? Really,
0: really. Each one of
2: them, at one time or another, has been my favorite song, because that's what it takes to finish them. They have to be something I'm really interested in. I don't work any other way. I don't work on a bunch of songs and make... I, it's not, I'm not making a product. I'm, the, each one of these songs... Of course is, you're not. <laughs> Hmm?
1: Of course you're not
2: <laughs> what i mean is i'm not working on a yeah i'm not it's not an, it, in a in in a way i'm 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 pursuing a series of questions you know anytime i'm i'm working um, on a song i'm i'm trying to answer something for myself so uh, th- i can really say of this album that i'm really happy with the way these things turned out I, and um and it may be as a result of having paid particular attention to the instrumentation and the and the sonically you know the the engineering and the as i say these songs aren't always finished when i when I start recording them i may I may just rewrite a verse or I may actually um, take something out you know but it's it's really uh it's really a process of of um Of ex- ex- um, exploring, you know, so that, like I say, I wanna I wanna know what the song is capable of doing musically before I finish the subject in terms of lyrics. Nothing's worse than writing too many verses and having to throw some out. You know, if you find out that you don't really want to hear two verses before the chorus, but you've got you've already set up the narrative to mm-hmm. be to be, you know, and that's happened a couple of times where I wrote songs. Just on acoustic guitar, when I started to play it with a band, I realized I don't want to hear another verse. I want to go right... You know, want to, so, it, you know, I don't like to... I, I'm always rewriting, but I don't like to throw things away.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's very effective. And it works. <laughs> let's dive a bit into the, the tracks. The album opens up with The Birds of St. Marks. You wrote that, let's say, a little while ago. <laughs> Why did it take until now to put it on the record?
2: Well when I wrote that song I imagined I wrote it for someone who who really liked the birds and liked Jim McGuinn's guitar playing and and i um, mean Roger McGuinn his name at the time was Jim McGuinn he you know and I always I pictured that, is, that was part of the song I wrote was that it was a bird song and and um, but when I would play it You know, of course, I don't sound like the birds. If I sit there by myself, you play with an acoustic guitar, it doesn't sound like the birds, it's not electric, there are no harmonies that, you know. And so, um, within a few years, I just sort of forgotten about the song. I think that uh, I even didn't even remember the song when I was, asked by the birds if I had any songs for them. I didn't even think of it then. I, I just had forgotten about it. So the answer is, I forgot. <laughs> but I, I, I wrote, um, I've, I just rediscovered it quite a few, few years ago. I mean, if I'd even written it when I rediscovered it, it would still be an old song. But I mean, it's just a song that's been around forever that I finally figured out how to, I finally realized I had a guitar player that could play it the way it needed to be played, and so I did okay. it.
1: Yeah, be, because you said in another interview that um, you're really glad that by now you were able to put it in the way you always wanted it to yeah, be, which yeah. didn't work out beforehand. Okay. So was there a special initial moment you were, you were thinking again about this song and you were really looking for it? Or did you just, I don't know, find it on, on purpose when, I,
2: when, when, I, when you I...
1: found it back? You, you just said... Like, I was
2: doing an interview.
1: Oh, okay. It
2: was on camera actually. <laughs> and I was being interviewed for a, a thing, a show that um, it's called uh, Going Home. It's, it's an interview that was originally a, a special for television. And um, in the interview, I was just talking about New York. And the people doing the interview were, were, were good, are good friends of mine, so the people that were, they were, it was really like talking with a friend, and I said, oh, well, let me show you the song, but there were no guitars around, and I went to the piano to show them, you know, the song, and it, it sounded great on the piano. I mean, it more inter- it sounded more like a new song, it sounded more like the way I play now than the way I played then. It didn't have any of the problems that it had. By problems, I mean... It didn't really have any problems. It just was very a fully. It was it wasn't realized if I play it by myself with the guitar. Even if I played it for you now and showed you how how I wrote it, it was, doesn't sound like uh, as as good as it sounds now with the band. So, yeah, I just it was in the middle of an interview, and then and then because somebody saw that show that interview, they called for it in a show in a in a concert,
1: mm-hmm. and it
2: was included in a live concert.
1: Yeah. I think people will be really glad that finally after they might know it through your concerts, they finally find it on a record. Um, I assume there's also a story worth telling behind Walls and Doors, as that song is as I figured, from a friend of yours, Carlos Varela. Yeah. Would you yeah, like sharing it the, with Walls us? Walls and
2: Doors is, a, in Spanish it's Muros y Puertas and um, it was written by Carlos Varela, who is a friend of mine from Cuba, and it's really a a beautiful song, and he invited me to sing it on a, on a special he was doing in Cuba. We've, we're have we good friends and we've traveled together in England and Holland. He came to, to one of my tours one time. He would sing a song and I would translate it for my audience. He, he for, for a long time, was prevented from touring in the United States by um, Specifically, by the Bush administration, trying to trying to play to the Miami Cubans and, and and not allow Cubans to travel between the United States and Cuba. But the song talks about. Uh, it says, you know, since the beginning of time, there's one thing that's certain: some people build walls, other people build doors. So, in a sort of in, in an indirect way, but a very beautiful way, he's really talking about that situation, where and it, and the, the, my doing a tra- an English translation of this song makes this song available to my countrymen and, and for that matter, your countrymen. But it's really about the possibility of, uh, you know, building those doors where there are walls.
1: Mm-hmm. The lyrics for another song on the record, You Know the Night, were written by Woody Guthrie. What's the story to that?
2: Uh, yeah, Woody Guthrie wrote a... a a lot of lyrics that were, that were never turned into songs. And in recent years, uh, his family has, there have been f- several projects. One of them was that Wilco Billy Bragg record called Mermaid Avenue. And uh, a lot of great songs have come out of these you know contemporary artists putting, putting lyrics to his music. So I was invited to do that by a friend of mine, Rob Wasserman, the bass player. and. The song that they gave me to write, <laughs> I thought it was a song when they gave it to me, but it was really a very long letter. It was a letter that he wrote to his wife about the time that they met. So it's a reminiscent of that time, but also it, it, he, he talks about what they saw in each other and what they, how they came together with their mutual ideals, really, ideas about what, what the world could be.
1: So, um, once more, you work with Paul Dieter. I hope I pronounced that right. It sounds so German. Dieter, yeah. Yeah.
2: I would imagine you would pronounce that right.
1: Dieter. (laughs) (laughs) To produce a record together. So, um, I assume you would call yourselves the perfect match in the studio. But maybe you'd like to explain why. Yeah, we
2: we are a perfect match because he's he's a really great engineer, but he's got infinite patience. And because I'm a neophyte, I don't... I mean, at, at recording, I'm not, I'm not technical at all. So I need someone to sit there with me while I think about what I want to think about and who doesn't engage me about what he wants to do. He just does what he wants to do. Some engineers are ambitious and want to talk about what they want to do. And they I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Like, Shall we do that? Let's do, you know, like... And I need somebody that's much more... Uh, patient and someone who's almost passive in terms of and also who will allow me to move things around and turn the balances upside down. Sometimes I want to hear something and I'll put per- and things may remain out of balance for long periods of time mm-hmm. and then um, but we're we've worked together for a long time as uh, you know he's been my engineer for a long time and on the recent records especially the, the live albums where he records everything mm-hmm. and then we go through it together and pick the best performances and Mix them together uh, you know he became the producer, so yeah, all right he's my co-producer on the last record, I think too. Yeah. and and this time he mixed the album too, which is to me a, a great final development you know in our in our com- uh, collaboration.
1: okay, could we imagine it more of, as you said before, um, you're writing the songs they're not really finished when you take them to the studio so so do we imagine you know exactly what you're doing, and no, and, and Paul don't. helps you to fulfill that, or are you working kind of together to to make the songs become what they finally are?
2: Paul's the engineer. Yeah. He's, he's, okay. To me, he's invisible. I don't want to. I don't want to. We don't talk about anything very much when it's going down. I might we might i might we might have a brief technical conver- I mean, conversation about whether to record the drums in this room or that room or whether or not <laughs> okay. you know there's you know like we might but it's very perfunctory it's not really um in a funny way we're bystanders to each other's work mm-hmm. you know i'm very like i'm very much a bystander to the engineering of the record i'm sort of, i might you know offer a suggestion or even say oh no no no, no. we don't want that No, i've got to turn that up or something but it That's really simple. That's simple stuff, very fundamental. That's nothing like what engineers get into when you listen to engineers talk about. But you know, I've worked with a lot of engineers and and, um, I like the other kind too, the kind that's that's very ambitious and always trying to turn it into something. But in every case, it doesn't matter whether it's that kind or the kind that Paul is, we want to. You want to serve the music, and the music is happening between the musicians. Like sometimes, a musician will let you record them, you know, and then they'll they'll come in and they'll have something to say about what you're listening to. The balances. Mm-hmm. They might say, "Oh, oh, I'll turn that up, or turn this down, or like I imagine I'm adding a sound that is combined with this other sound." So it's really the musicians that lead the the process of discovery in a recording.
1: Okay. Are you perfectly convinced at one point that a song or an album is is finished, or in other words, is it hard for you to to release stuff?
2: No, no, it's not hard to release it. It's really it it, it is a bit of a an acquired skill to know when it's done because it's very easy to keep going and keep adding things, because it's interesting, it's fun. You're, in a way, you're never done. The song is going to continue to grow after the album too. You just have to. Know how far you can go with this particular recording.
1: I read lots of articles about you to prepare this, of course, and a lot of reviews talking about the new record. And I was wondering do you read them still? Are you yeah. interested in what professionals or
2: non professionals? I, f- I read very few of them. I don't, I don't want to have that to think about.
1: Okay. But are you interested in, in fans' reviews or um, what they think? About I'm interested your in what
2: fans tell me. Yeah, are but, the, I'm, but 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 yeah. um, uh, it's because it's more it's interesting to me to see how it's received by you know. No, and I mean I I I like when somebody mentions something specific that 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 they are responding to. <laughs> reviews are like, I don't want to fill my head with, you know, like how, you know, how I'm received, especially by, by reviewers, because, you know, a critic's job is to criticize. Yeah, good point. Pretty much, you know. Yeah, I good mean, point. I mean, so very often, sometimes they have, um, you know, something worthwhile to say, and sometimes they don't. I like the Richard Burton remark and somebody asked him if he ever if he read his reviews and he said no and he said because the bad ones will the bad reviews will break your heart and the good ones
1: aren't good enough. <sighs> Smart man. <laughs> I was wondering, do you still feel or really believe that, that music can change things happening in the world, or is it more if you want to stand next to the people that are your fans that have to face the same problems as you have in your normal life and that's why you
2: well music is a a thing that connects us all you know it's not uh, and you, if, of course you're right that we all we're all faced by the same problems in the world, so I mean. As far as whether or not music is a has the possibility of changing the world, well, on one level it changes the world every day. It would change the world every time you listen to it, it changes the world you're you're experiencing when you listen to music, and at the same time, um, certain ideas because because music repeats that it's be, it's based on repetition. You know, music is repetition. It's mathematically pleasing. You know. You know, repetitions of things and ideas to to introduce an idea and to have that idea uh, accessible. You know, with all the, with the other things. You know, like I think it can be. I think it can really change. Yeah, it can change people's. Minds and change, change how they feel about things. Or, they can, or if anything, mostly it can focus how they already feel.
1: Yeah? Do you limit yourself in any way when it comes to writing lyrics? Is there anything you would maybe never write about because <laughs> you think, okay, there is a kind of <laughs> personal. Yeah, I think of things all the time that
2: I would like, uh, you know. I like I'm am trying phrases all the time, and I think of things, and I go, "Oh no, that's not a good thing to say. Don't say that." Like, don't not when i usually not when I'm writing a song. I mean, if I think of it while I'm playing, I write it down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I write it. Who knows? You know, it might, I mean, I don't. I try not to limit. I mean, that's the whole point of it's to get it out. You know. Yeah. I mean, there are times when I like when I first started writing songs that had a political com- component you know, you're writing late into the night and you're writing and if you don't think, you're thinking about trying to, trying to write it well, you know. You're not, you're trying to, when you write a song, you're trying to elude your inner critic anyway. You're trying to like get rid of that person that, that or looking over your shoulder and asking whether this is worth saying or not. You need, you need to stop thinking like that and just get it out. But the next morning, you look at it and go, oh no. I can't be talking about this. No one who who wants to hear this. This is I can't be. But really, if if it comes through you, if it comes, if it matters to to you, then maybe it matters to somebody else. You know, there's no way to know except to try out. You can you can uh, you learn a lot about what you think. What you can learn about what you, you yourself think of. Excuse me, of what you've written by singing the song out into the room Mm -hmm. and if especially by singing it to a friend if you sing the song to a friend it's like you know before they say a word whether it's you know it's any good or not sometimes you don't know but it's a song a song has to be you know it's in the act of singing it that you know Mm -hmm. and for that matter if you write a song it's like why i said like it's not a product it's not it's not i mean like these songs stand for what you think and how you feel about the world and if you if you're successful, there are songs that you'll sing for a long time, yep. and they have to sustain you. And that's that's what that's what I think takes the time in in choosing what to say in a song.
1: Now is the time for the audience to choose <laughs> their words, and maybe prepare their questions because um, Jackson Brown. We'll be glad to answer your questions, in case there are some from the audience. Uh, we will have somebody with a microphone coming around, so if you have a question, please raise your hand and let us know, and please wait for the person with the microphone to show up, that everybody can hear you. Um, yeah, maybe we start off.
0: Thank you, first of all, for coming. I'm very excited, like probably everybody in this room. And I just have one question, so... I. Um, I'm also trying to write songs that make sense, (laughs) and I really would need some advice from you. Like, (laughs) in the moment when you're, when it's coming down in your head, or when it's just, you know, giving birth to itself, uh, and something, something would distract you from, from your thought. What do you do? What's your mantra? What's your Meditation, how you how you keep focused all the time because you seem to be a very focused person and you you travel all all the world all the time and uh, I just you know on tour I'm thinking so much like we are waiting for hours just to just to get ready waiting for hours at the loadout you just wrote a song about it. that's just so perfect but. What do you do if it's not inspiring you? What do you do if it's bringing you down? What do you do against it? And how how can you focus? Thank you.
2: It's a very that's a very specific uh, question. Indeed. <laughs> For one thing, um, I write songs over a long period of time, so that uh, and I, I'm endowed with, I have a good memory for some things, a terrible memory for other things, but I mean, what, the things that I remember the most are words and turns of phrase. I did notice that that I remember them differently as I go along. So if I start, I always make little recordings, like it could be your iPhone. Matter of fact, I've got great stuff on my iPhone. I just have to remember to listen to it, you know, the little five minutes there. And, and what's great about the iPhone is it'll tell you when it was and you go, okay, July 27th, five in the morning. There's this little five-minute thing, you know, and you can find it, you know. So those little notes to yourself are important to, to keep your place. Sometimes you remember something differently and it's better, like it's, you remember it better than it was and you go back and listen to, oh, oh, no, I'm doing, now I'm doing it this way, oh, well, that's better than what it was before. Or sometimes you go, oh, I'm doing it differently and it's not as good as what I, what I had before with that thing. But most of my ideas come from making a mistake that interests me. You're playing something and you do something, you go, oh, that was where? what was that? So I almost always record when I'm playing, even if I don't, And which is a problem because you wind up with lots of recordings and you can't find anything anymore. But anyway, yeah, I could just go disappear into to my music room with, a, with some of my recordings and just make a bunch of songs out of, you know, like, I mean, there are boxes and boxes of these recordings because each of them represents a moment when I thought I was doing something of value or interesting. As far as how to keep the focus on a song, I, I, th- I think the, the, res- the end thing is something that's the result of you gathering together the, that focus. It sounds like you were really focused all at once when you did it, but it probably was more that you kept coming back to it and ask yourself, well, maybe the most important thing I could tell you would be that what you're really doing is asking yourself questions. You're asking yourself, "Is there something you like the sound of, or something you say that you?" And it may not even make any sense to you at the moment. You might think, "Well, why am I saying that?" And you, it's that question that you're asking, like at that moment, like, "What is it about this that I like that's worth pursuing?" And um, so, and, I, and, and then, lastly, I would say that I once asked. Um, Warren Zevon about his habits, about his writing habits, because I'm interested in that. I want to know how other people do it. I'm always asking people, like, well, what do you do? How do you get up in the morning? I mean, Carol King used to get up in the morning, and after she got all the kids off to school, like a housewife, I mean, bam, 9.30, she'd hit the piano, and she'd go to work, and she'd start writing these, you know. Great, a great writer, a great American writer, and, and astounding amount of, you know, Songs and hit songs, and but she had a she had to do that because she had a bunch of kids. She had to take care of them, so she only ha- she got right to work. Me, I wait till the end of the day. I mean, I'm I'm when everything else is done and everything's out of the way, and then I, I'll, I I might go to work at nine or ten at night, or maybe one in the morning. But um, but I was going to say, I ask Warren Zevon like, what does he do? He said, well, the only the only thing I do like I don't I don't play if I don't feel like it. If I don't feel like it. I never, it's just injurious to the spirit to pound something out or work on something. You're working on it, you're working, you know, don't make it work, it's gotta be play. You know.
1: Okay, yeah, for one more? Sure. Yeah, okay, so here we go, one more question. First row, please.
0: Well, thank you for being here and sharing your experiences with thank us you. and for giving us so much wonderful music over all the years. Thank you. Um, my question is, I, I grew up with v- vinyl records, and um, a vinyl record does have a concept in itself. It has an A side, it has a B side, and there's an opener for the A side and an ending of the A side, an opener of the B side and an opener <laughs> of the end of the second side. So, <clears throat> that's a concept already, before you have written an, a single note. So, did that concept, which is included in a vinyl record, in the LP, did that influence your writing? In other words, do you think that a record is more than a collection of songs, but maybe a cycle of songs? Do you think that songs can be cyclic? The
2: yeah, I do think they can be cycle, cyclic. And of course, I grew up uh, not only re- listening to a lot of folk music and uh, listening to whole whole albums like you did, but also like in a really in a really formative time. Sergeant Pepper and what they call the cyclical, you know, song cycle. Van Dyke's early records, song cycle. He named song cycle, and was very influential. A lot of musicians began regarding, well, it really comes with the advent of the album because before vinyl, when you're talking about vinyl, you're also talking about something that was relatively new. The LP, the long playing record was the, you know, I mean, like people made singles and they only put out a, an album with a side one and side two when they had had released 10 singles or 10 five singles and five b-sides and they put this out it was a celebration of a certain amount of success with the single so it's not vinyl so much that you're talking about but the the album the album era and of course we've passed through that now so now like I, w- I was working with a, a co-producer Scott Thurston who uh, now now plays with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and he, he's a great musician and he had played with a lot of a lot of different people, he, he, I mean, I don't know anybody that you could say played with both Ike and Tina Turner and Tom Petty. He's really very, you know, very great musician. And he said to me, he said, you got all these records where you save your, like you save your, last, your best song for the end. So he said, that's crazy. Said, Nobody, nobody's going to listen to the end of your record. I said, really? <laughs> no one's going to listen to the whole thing? He said, no. He said, You're making, fr- you're making, so I'm, we <laughs> right. all do. That's what I told him. I do, I listen to records. <laughs> 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 but he said, You gotta assume, you gotta actually get people, you gotta put your best songs first. So I tried that for a while, but <laughs> I get so depressed thinking that everything after four or five is just like getting worse and worse or something. <laughs> and I thought, That's no good. So um, even on this record, I mean, the title song is the ninth song. I thought I couldn't have it be the last song cuz it's just it's just so down you know it's just something so it's so somber and it it ends on a a note that I hope is is hopeful that is that is that is positive but I really don't know if it is or not I just thought I just didn't have the courage to make sending the breach the last moment in the song and then I realized that here was such a departure from the whole album. So that last song is like a return to purely internal uh, dialogue with, with yourself. And, and, um, but yeah, I, so I experimented with that, I, I, with, with the idea of, to me, it's, I, used to, I used to know the order that I wanted the songs to be on the record as I was writing them. I'd I'd think, oh, this is a song that would be good. Um, Because what I noticed was that some songs sound really better after certain songs. I mean, the the sequence really does matter, musically, most of all. Not so much what's said, but sometimes that too. But musically, there's some songs that just don't follow the other very well, you know, and you want to give each song its, its best place on the album. Now, this album, literally half the songs were in the key of G. Like, that's really a problem, because could, <laughs> if you put them all in a row, you'd have like one song after another in the same key. Uh, it would probably sound like the birds or something, because I mean, <coughs> that, like, like, li- like David Crosby has said on a couple of times, he said, yeah, we recorded so many songs in D, we were awarded the key of D. <laughs> so this would have been, so I just so I started making sequences uh, that, that you know went G, F. G, B flat, G, C, G, D. You know, I just started like working. So I only had a certain amount of combinations that, that were possible. And that was a purely functional thing. But I, like I say, I used, to, I, used to, I used to write the songs, not write them in an order, but write them knowing where they went in the sequence. And then there came the time when I had to admit that they didn't work. My sequence was actually and then, I, then when I would solve the problems, I realized that I was so fallible that it was, it was such um, hubris, you know, to think that I know that the order in which they must be listened to. And also counterproductive if you realize that, of course, on, the, on, the, on my favorite radio programs, they play things next to other things, you know. They really, you know. I mean, it's really true that some songs don't, fo- you know, f- follow each other. Well, I was on a Lowell George tribute album and for some reason, they put my song right after this great Randy Newman version of one of Lowell George's songs, and it, my my song just died—the death of a thousand dogs. It just, it just, you know, like a, you want to go back to the song before you were hearing it. So I, it's possible to be in an unflattering place. Um, also, like I was on a Pete Seeger tribute record once, and my and the first song on the record was Billy Bragg doing. Uh, um, if I had a hammer, you know, and if you know Billy Bragg, you know, he's he loud. He's like, you know, if I had a hammer, i would find a little more, you know, like, and, they, and, and it was loud because it was one voice and, and, and one guitar. And then my song came in, it was Guantanamera with Joan Baez. And we like, it was like half as loud. And it, was, it took a long time to get going. And I wouldn't blame anybody if they just skipped that song, you know. Although it's a beautiful recording, it was just like the opposite. It just wasn't an advantageous place to put it. You, that's, and that's also why you have mastering, so you can make the next, the second, the song after it, you know, like louder or turn this one down or, you know. Anyway, that idea of a song cycle is a little bit, it's what it is anyway. It's re- a little bit redundant to, to, try, to, to try to do it, because that's the way it winds up anyway.
1: I have to thank you. Thank you.
2: Thanks for having Jackson me here. Thank you, ladies and coming. gentlemen. Thank you right. so
1: much.